we have been studying the book of Hebrews, and I've been starting off pretty much every week the same way, which is to try to encourage you to, to read the book of Hebrews for yourself. Like, Hebrews is so packed with awesome stuff for the church, and I feel like it's one of those books, we spend a lot of time in the Gospels, we spend a lot of time uh, maybe in Pauline uh, epistles, um, we spend some time in the Old Testament, but like Hebrews, and there's, we have our favorite verses from Hebrews, but the totality of the book is so powerful. The theme of, of Hebrews is this, Jesus is better. I mean, Jesus is better than anything you could hope for or imagine. Jesus is better. That's the truth. And that's what the author of Hebrews says. And the Hebrews, uh, book of Hebrews, was written to the Jewish believers to encourage them in their faith. Because they were leaving a lot, leaving a lot behind by following Jesus. And the author of Hebrews says, no, no, but Jesus is better than all those things. That's why he's Messiah. That's, that, that's what Messiah is. Is better than all the stuff that came before. He's the fulfillment of the promise that God made through the word that we love so much. And, and so we recognize uh, that Jesus is greater, but this is true for all people for all time. And that's what the book of Hebrews focuses on. So last week, we, we uh, ended with an exhortation that we need to, to know more about, about Jesus. Specifically, know more deep things. And I don't know how much of us have, a, I've already said, like some of us don't even want to read the scripture, let alone think deeply of the scriptures, to, to wrestle with scripture, to, to wrestle with one another about what the, thing, what the scriptures are saying, to let ourselves be reformed by reading scripture instead of us trying to impose our own ideas and thoughts onto scripture. But last week, the author of Hebrews says to the church, I have deeper things I want to teach you, but you're not ready. And that's where we left off last week. And so today we're going to pick up and talk about um, these deeper things that he was um, writing to the church about and why that matters. Um, I want to start with this uh, kind of funny thing because this actually, uh, you can open your Bibles if you want. We're going to be reading in Hebrews 5. If you don't have one, set tight a minute. We're going to get a page number up for you. But um, there was this idea last week, and you're going to see it in a second, that he compares them to infants not ready for solid food, right? He says, you should be eating some steak, and you're still on baby food. That's what he says to the the recipients of this letter. And I don't know if you guys have ever thought about that, like this idea, but that's going to be what we talk about today, this idea of of taking baby steps, or or, or growing in our faith. Uh, There's an expectation that we have in following Jesus that we are called to grow in our faith. That's the reality of it. And the analogy he gives here, now he says milk, right? You're still on milk, and you should be on solid food. You should be moving up the scale of things you're consuming as a follower of Jesus, Right? And, and, uh, but, but many of us, and this is probably, I don't know, was this one of the problems in the church? I, mean, I don't know, right? Can I say that? But probably the reality is that so many of us just love the milk. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's so sweet and easy to eat, and you don't even have to chew it. You just drink it. You know what I mean? Like, that's what he's saying. You're still children, and you should be sitting at the adult table. You should be having the, understanding the responsibility you've been given in Christ. And yet we're over at the K table going, hey, this is so much fun. I don't know if you guys have um, ever eaten baby food. Has anyone ever eaten baby food? Yes. All right. You guys are awesome. I know why you ate it because you're a youth pastor. Anyone else? Is there a good reason why you're eating baby food? Uh, I, I, was, um, I was watching this, uh, what do you call it, like a YouTube thing, uh, video, whatever you call that thing. I don't know. There are people making a lot of money now with this free thing called YouTube. Anyway, uh, um, Good Mythical Morning. Who's heard of the Good Mythical Morning? Anybody heard of it? Yeah, a few of you. All right, see? Well, I stumbled on this guy, and they were having this question, um, Karen, what's that sauce called? Seriaki sauce, make anything better? Do you know what that stuff is? And they're like, can seriaki sauce make anything better? And they started putting on all kind of gross foods, and the grossest thing they thought to eat was baby food, other than glue, which they ate glue. But 
they, they, so they opened it. Now, I have never eaten baby food, other than maybe when I was a baby, <laughs> and I'm blocking out the memory, right? But they opened peas, and I was struck because they, they put the spoon in there, and they go, oh, it doesn't look bad. No, it doesn't smell bad. And they ate it, and they're like, ooh. You know, and they said, this is disgusting. Why do we feed this to our children? This is gross, you know? I mean, no wonder they have to like the airplane, you know, open up. <laughs> Kids are like, no, <laughs> it's gross. And the funny thing is, before you get down on peas, the dude who ate it said, I love peas. I could eat peas. I could eat a whole plate of peas. But this stuff is nasty. I don't know what they're doing to this. Peas are ruining these peas. How strange, though, if you think about that, and you see these two grown men and, and uh Good enough morning at two grown men um, eating baby food on YouTube. And you think, that's so stupid. But how many of us in our walk with Jesus are sitting there eating baby food? <laughs> We're so happy, you know. We're going to talk about that today and what that means. He's going to actually line out things that are the basics of the faith and say, we're called to go to deeper things. I'm eager to get into it with you. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. We always do this, not because it's the ritualistic thing to do, but because we cannot understand what the Word of God says without His Holy Spirit's intervention on our behalf. That means everyone here can understand what the Bible says through the power of the Holy Spirit. That means you. So I invite you to pray with me as we open the Word of God that He would reveal himself to us. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have now to gather and to spend some time in your word. We do believe it's the gift that you gave your people, indeed, not just to write it down, but also to preserve it for us now in this moment, that the word has been preserved for us. We thank you so much that we live in a time that we can actually dig deeply into your word. The original languages are available to us, and there's never been a time like this where, where um, quote, ordinary people, Father, can delve into your word and go deep with you. I do pray, though, that we would never think we do it of ourselves. Today, we ask that you would come and minister to us, minister to us with your Holy Spirit, that we could know you more fully, and that we could believe you more completely, and we could be transformed. And indeed, Father, as your word will compel us to move from spiritual immaturity to spiritual maturity in Christ, would you, would you walk us through that, Father, as a loving Father that you are? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I'm going to give you the page numbers now. I apologize for being a little scattered here. Uh, Hebrews 6 is what we're studying today, 6, 1 through 12. And so I'm going to read through here a bit, and we're going to talk about this. We're going to take it in three parts, kind of, so I'm going to start in verse 1. Listen to the word with me. Therefore, and by the way, if you've not noticed, I think every week it started with a therefore in Hebrews. Um, therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on toward maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, and of faith in God, and of instruction about baptism, and the laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. Okay, so the author is writing to the the church, and he's saying, now we're going to try, by the grace of God, to move on from the basic things of the faith. We're not going to keep recovering these issues, but I'm stunned as I read through the list of the things that he calls the basics of the faith. But I want to say before, the therefore is there for a reason. Look, at 14, I told you already, let's read 13 and 14 together. Anyone who lives on milk, being yet an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. So this becomes the point. We're going to learn about righteousness, okay? But solid food is for the mature who, through constant use, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And, and, and it'll be easy. We closed with that last week, and it'll be easy to roll right through and pick up and move on in six. But isn't it amazing? What does it say? That those who are infant, who are not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness, right? The solid food is those who use, who through constant use are trained 
to distinguish good from evil. I told you already why she'd be reading the word of God. I mean, I, we talked about how it's a two-edged sword, right? It cuts me first when I read it. I don't get to go point at people because it hits me first. The word of God does. Through constant use, it trains us to know good from evil. That's what the word says here. Isn't it interesting that the constant use is part of what causes it to work? It doesn't say through reading it once when at one point in your life you're trained in righteousness. That's not what the word says. It says through constant use, you mature. It's solid food. You eat more deeply. You, you savor it. You dig around. You wrestle. And I know, I've talked to some of you, and I know you struggle with that, and you say, I don't want to think that much about it. And I get it. I, and I know I'm a broken thinker. Like, that's my flaws. I think about things a lot. And some of you just, you know, kick my rear end as far as getting things done because I'm thinking about them all the time. But we must do both, right? We must think deeply and then live out the word, and, and, and we need each other for that work. The idea here is that you would continually go back and mature through the word of God, training ourselves. That's what it says. Look at it. Train themselves to distinguish good from evil. The word here is discern, discernment. And the funny thing about the gospel of Jesus is that it's the same for all of us. Sometimes you say, well, I have a tough thing, and I want to go talk to someone who's, who's more spiritual than I am so they can help me understand. Do you know why they are more spiritual than you, if they are more spiritual than you indeed? Because they've been digging into the Word of God, and they see the world through the lens of Scripture. They're not better. They've trained themselves. This is something that it took me a while to figure out about Christians, because I thought, well, Christians were just being a bunch of jerks, because I was presuming that God hadn't spoken. But he has. He has spoken. And so if he's spoken, our job as believers in Christ, especially those who would imitate Jesus himself, is to go to the Word and say, what does the Word say? I told you last week that when Jesus himself was tempted by Satan, he didn't use his own words, but he used Scripture to rebuke Satan. Why would he do that? Because the word of God is, is true. It's, dis, it's discernible. And let me say one more thing, and we're going to jump into six. Why don't I say shame on us for not using discernment? Shame on us for looking at our life in the flesh as believers in Jesus, considering just what the flesh would say, and not taking any time to consider what the word of God would say, what the Holy Spirit is compelling us to believe, and we just look at it with like our fleshly eyes and say, here's the solution to the problem. We don't discern good from evil. That's what the word says there. Train to discern good from evil. Who, who would knowingly enter evil? Therefore, and there's the therefore, let us leave. The word actually says, having left elementary teachings. Therefore, church, having left elementary teachings, let us move on toward maturity, not laying again the foundation of, and here's the foundations. We're going to run through them real quick, okay? Here's, here's, this is what's wild to me. Um, these are the basics of the faith, as if you will. Repentance from acts that lead to death. That's powerful, right? If you remember, the first thing that Jesus said was repent. Oh, he said, follow me. But when he started calling out and preaching the gospel, he said, repent for the kingdom of God is near. So he said, repent. The first words. I talked to you uh, also about that those families that had forgiven the guy who killed those people in a Bible study um, back east, right? And, and, and they forgave him, but they said, repent. This is the time to repent. Change your mind. Change your heart. Change your life. Believe the good news because there's coming a day of judgment where we will we will we will we will confess with our mouth what we actually believe repent and change your mind what repentance from acts that lead to death the things that we do stop doing them those things that lead us to death james has a great progression of sin in our life and how it grows up it's like a little weed and it just gets bigger and bigger until it's this huge tree right but it says when sin is full blown it leads to death when we act on our sin, it leads to death. So repent of those things. That's the basic, right? Basics of the faith. 
Repent of those acts. Second thing, faith in God. Trusting God with everything. And this is what we, and this faith is not like we're mustering faith, but it's a gift that God's given us, right? That we believe the good news. So live in that space. Don't willingly move to space where you don't believe the gospel. Don't willingly move to space where you doubt God. Like, I get it. It's a, it's a struggle. It's called faith for a reason, you know? We're going to have the great passage of Scripture here about the faith of the people of God and how they're rewarded for the faith that they had. And yet they choose to live in that space of believing the good news, even when it's hard. Maybe especially when it's hard, we choose to believe. The second, faith in God. God is all-powerful. And I always say this, right? Like, like faith in God's like faith in a chair. You sit in it. It's not like I look at it and say, I know it could hold me theoretically, but I'm not going to sit down just in case. You know, faith in God is like you sit in the chair. You go, I'm, I'm all in. He's my bedrock. I'm going to stand on Jesus. That's my faith. That's what it means, faith in God. Third, instruction about baptism, right? And this is, means ceremonial cleansing, but, cleansing, but it means the, the teachings about baptism. Baptism what? Initially for the repentance of sin, right? There's this whole thing that happens. And one of the two things that we do at Family Bible Church to um, confess our faith and remember Jesus' baptism and communion. And, and if you ever sit and talk to me about baptism, some of you have said, hey, I'm thinking about getting baptized. There's a lot going on. On one side of things, it is us saying we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That's what's happening. You know it's not magic water because we do it everywhere around Highland, right? So you know it's not magic water. It's just it's water. But it's an acknowledgement that we need a Savior. But then there's also something, we see it in Jesus' own life, which I always read when we do baptisms, where the Father speaks over his child in that moment. This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Like he is investing in us in that moment. One of my favorite profs at Greenville College always said, the question you have to ask in baptism is who's at work? Is it us or God? We confess, but God moves. Not magic water. It's God speaking over us as his children. Instructions about baptism. Repent and believe the good news. Must you be baptized to be saved? Scriptures seem to say no, right? We got that from the guy on the cross next to Jesus. Next to Jesus on the cross. And he says, you know, Lord, remember me today in paradise. And he's like, you will join me on the cross. You will be there. And yet, how many of us know Jesus and won't confess him, calling forth from our own lips, Jesus is Lord, and letting the world know that this is where our hope lies, nowhere else. We ought to be baptized as believers in Jesus. This idea of laying down and being raised again, of being buried and resurrected, of new life, of being washed clean, is all caught up in the act of baptism. And if you've not done it, I would challenge you to pray, is God calling you? The other thing I've said to many people is baptism becomes a marker in your journey of being an obedient Christian. See, because some of us are too proud to get baptized. Or maybe we were baptized when we were a baby and, you know, that's good enough, ain't it, right? But if God's calling you to do it, your job is to obey him. That's your job. Submit to baptism. I'll be baptized. I'll follow you through into that. Jesus, he did it himself so that all Listen to what the word said. Righteousness will be fulfilled. The same thing that Hebrews is teaching us about today. Fourth, the laying on of hands, right? The laying on of hands. And I'm not going to dig into this real deep, but we do some things, and you've seen them, where we put hands on people. But I want to say it's not just coming up on a Sunday and putting on, you know, that's what I've read some stuff, and they said, well, it's about commissioning people to preach the gospel. Yes, that's true. But I believe that the church has an opportunity to bless people. You know, the idea, you can use your hands to help or hurt people, but it's the same hands. You understand that, right? But as believers in Jesus, the laying on of hands, I think, is a powerful thing. Many, many of us would, would um, circle up and pray, and we will hold hands to pray. Why is that? I'm, I went to a funeral um, last week, you guys know that, and the wish of the family was that the whole congregation would stand and hold hands at the end and sing a song because that was the deceased's favorite part of church 
was to be connected. How many of you, that's a basic teaching of the faith. How many of you have the confidence, if you're believing in Jesus, that if a friend comes to you and they're wrung out and they're like, man, I'm a mess. I don't know what to do anymore. I'm stuck in this bad place and they're freaking out. How many of you have, and I'm saying this as one of you who don't do this enough, how many of you have the confidence in Christ to say, let me pray for you and put your hands on that person and pray that God would bless them? I want to be clear, this ain't about you. It ain't about the power that you have. It's about what God has called his church to do, to be blessing to people, to, to you know, bathe them, the idea of baptizing them in the Holy Spirit, to, to, to pray over them, not because of who we are, but because of who we belong to. Scripture says that um, the little children were brought to Jesus, and he put, he put his hands on them, and he blessed them. Oh, bless these children, Father. I remember one time I did a camp, and uh, what we did all week, all the counselors had to come up to the front, and they had to put their hands on the students in their cabin and bless them. It was a transforming experience to speak words of encouragement and hope. Do you take that seriously? Do you understand that you have been called as God's people to be part of his solution, which is the church, to bless people and to not harm people? Fifth, the resurrection from the dead, a literal, physical resurrection from the dead. It's what our gospel calls us to. Some people struggle with that, right? That's a basic tenet of the faith. We will be raised. What will it look like? We do not know. Can God do it? Yes, he can. But we will literally be raised to life. This is but a, a precursor to the life that we were called to in Christ, the flesh that we have. But it is not the totality of what we're called to in Christ. All that's written by, uh, very uh, eloquently by Paul. Powerful reality, and these are things that we should know. And then the last is eternal judgment. And I want to clarify and say the implication of eternal judgment. See, there's something that he, the author says is the fundamental basic of the faith. And uh, how many people now have said, that? nah, that can't be true, right? Uh, there ha has to be some other way, some other solution. Uh, maybe we've misunderstood the text. You know what? Actually, maybe we don't need to worry about the Bible at all. I think I know how this works. Let me explain to you from my own experience how this works. I... I'm being sarcastic here, by the way, if you haven't caught on. Understand all about good and evil. And therefore, I know that if God is good, he cannot possibly condemn people to eternal suffering because that can't be a good God. Therefore, I am telling you, you're fine. What is that? And where do we find that in Scripture? It's not in the book. And what did Jesus come to save us from? And why did he preach so passionately? And why did he weep over Jerusalem? And why did he call out and say, repent and believe the good news? Why did he do that if it's just you're going to be fine? Because God's good. He won't do stuff that, no. And God is good. God is good. But there is an eternal judgment. And uh, the eternal judgment comes from the throne of authority, the seat of power that Jesus himself has over all creation because he made it and he made us. And there's this idea. It's not just eternal judgment like, and you will go to hell or, and you will go to heaven, <laughs> you know. But it's the implication of having eternity with God, which will be blessings beyond imagination that we will live and breathe and have our fulfillment. I hope you understand that the things that you've tasted here on this earth will be brought to full fruition in the presence of Christ as they were intended without sin or blemish or spot or anything, our, all of our motivations and all of our life will be pure in his presence and we will live in that state forever with him as he intended. We will be with him. That's eternal judgment. But it also means, as the scripture says over and over again, if we reject him, if we deny him, if we want our own way, we will be separated from God forever, which will be awful, awful. Because you and I would know what we denied and never be able to rejoin him. And us humans in our infinite wisdom say, oh, but what kind of a God can that be? 
It's craziness. This is the gospel, though, that we will be raised to eternal judgment. I got some friends, man, and it makes me sick because they say, I don't believe in hell, so you go there. Or I, got, I, got, I know people in my life that have checked out Jesus, and they're like, you know, I think I found something better over here. I, I'm smarter than that. I'm smarter than the Christians that I see. I'm smarter than what the Bible says. I have a bigger worldview, and they're walking away from their Savior. They're walking away. How do our hearts not break? How do we not cry out and say, come back, repent? He says, these are the basics of the faith. I want to show you one more thing, Henry. We're going to move on to the second part here. And God permitting, we will go deeper. Huh? Isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting how the author includes himself with the people he's writing to? Let us, since we have left basic teachings, let us not lay that foundation again, and let us go on to deeper things. And God permitting, he will do that. Like, we will, we will be there. And God permitting, we will do so. If God permits us to go deeper, he's going to let us do that. The author's with them. He's not against them. He's not shouting down at them, saying, you're, you're, this is, you know, for you. The next part, listen what the word says, starting in four. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting, subjecting him to public disgrace. Now, if you've not heard that before, you should spend some time reading that again because that is a piece of scripture that has to mess people up, and it should. That is a, this book is full of warnings to the church, and that is a serious warning to the church. I'm going to talk about two different things in it. I want to talk about the overall implications first, okay? And we're going to kind of skip in the middle. I call it the qualifications, okay? And I want you to hear what the word says. It is impossible for those, and then skip, it is impossible for those who have fallen away if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance. If you skip all the other stuff in the middle, that's what it says. It's impossible if those who, list of qualifying statements here, then fall away to be brought back to repentance. That's what the author says. It's, it's very clear. And many of us go, wow, what? And then you start to look at the qualifying list and you start going, wait a minute, where, where's our assurance? Where's our salvation then in it, right? It's impossible for them to be called back to repentance. That's what the word says. This idea, and there's a reason, right? I mean, but this idea that there are, um, there are things in this life that have permanent implications for us. That that's what the Bible says. And, and there, there's a reason he's gonna get into this idea that it's, it's a persevering in the faith. It's surviving to the end. Paul says the same thing, running our race till we're finished. But the scary word for us is that it's not possible if we fall away to be brought back to repentance. Huh. This rankles us. Do you, do you know why? Because we've believed a really cheap gospel. It's so convenient. Like, you know, God is uh, squishy and it's going to be okay and, and he can't possibly be, be a God of righteousness and judgment. He, he, he's going to be on our side no matter what and, and, and we can just, we can eh, give it good enough, you know what I mean? And we believe that we can fall away. Let me try to walk this out a little bit with you. Um, and I'm going to tie it into a little bit to the end here where it says, because they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. <laughs> I remember I was raised in church. I told you that, right? I was a little bitty dude. I was raised in church. I was actually baptized as a baby and stuff. But I started to have this understanding of the gospel that God's grace covered all sin, and so I could sin all I wanted. Like, literally, I believe that. I'm not just joking, like, with you guys. I thought the whole joke, it was literally a joke um, whenever I was in high school, is you, you live like hell on Saturday night, and then you repent on Sunday morning. 
That's what we were raised to believe. You can do whatever you want because guaranteed Sunday morning when you walk into the church and the guy up front says you're absolved of all of your sin and you say the right prayers and you do the right things and you punch the right buttons in the machine, God goes, poop, poop, you're whole again. You're fully redeemed and nothing else is required of you. But the problem is that the Spirit does not compel, compel us to believe that that's true. This idea that we would be over and over again sacrificing Jesus, it's an inward idea. I'll just lay him on the cross again. It's okay. I'm going to willfully sin again. There's another place in the scripture that says the same thing. You, if you continually sin, if you continue in your sin, you don't belong to God. It doesn't mean if you, if you aren't sinless. Of course, all of us sin, but if you just blatantly continue and you go, it's going to be okay because Jesus has got it covered. You don't understand anything of the sacrifice that he's made. I believe that. I don't understand anything of what it costs him. So we have this idea here that uh, it's not possible. The whole mindset is, well, that's not fair. If I repent, he has to forgive me again, doesn't he? If, 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 I, if I come back, he has to accept me back, right? I have the power in this relationship. Do you see what's happening there? It's about me and my choice. If I walk away from Jesus, I can come right back. I'll be back in a minute, Jesus. I'm going to go over and hang out with another faith for a while. I'll be back, though. It's cool. Because you always take me back. Repentance is this overwhelming reality. Okay, I want to get into these overwhelming reality in our lives, but I want to get into these markers, and I want to say two things about them, right? Here it is. The first, it's impossible for those who have once been enlightened. That means your eyes have been opened. You've, you've seen new things, right? Um, then the next thing is that they've tasted the heavenly gift. Like, they know that it's good. They've, they've had a little bit on their tongue. They're like, oh, this is so good. This Jesus stuff is so good. Or the third thing it says is what? They've shared in the Holy Spirit. It means being partners with God in what he's doing in the world. Like, what is happening in this text? The people who would have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's what the word says here. Who have tasted the goodness of the word of God. And I told you earlier about the precious nature of scripture. And that we would, you know, have... But this actually means uh, the God speaking. It's not logos like other places of the word. It's the it's this word of God, right? They've tasted, though. They've heard. God has said things like repent, you know, and they've heard it. And the last is this. They've tasted the powers of the coming age. They know there's an afterlife. They know there's something coming next. They understand all that. So here's the thing, two sides of this. One is it might scare you because you go, oh, my gosh, that's stuff that happens in the church. We've been enlightened, and we have a heavenly gift, and we've shared in the Holy Spirit, and we've, we've tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and we've tasted the powers of the age to come. We understand these things. <gasps> that means if we fall away, we can't ever be redeemed again. It says if you've done those things, and then you fall away from Jesus, you, you can't be redeemed. This, is, um, this idea of falling away is like Jesus and then just slipping off, you know what I mean? You were, you were like this close. You were this close. But I want to say a word of warning. So many times in the church, we accept all those things as signs of those who are saved. That's where we're hanging up on it, ain't it? Well, I thought that brother or sister was saved. What happened? I want you to notice something. Salvation is not mentioned in here yet. Not in there yet. These are the beginnings. How does God love us into his kingdom? How does, how does he invite us to respond to the gospel? Do you not taste a little bit first? Oh, this is good. Do you not hang out with Christians? And I know you're maybe skeptical, but you go, these people are different. Do you not hear the voice of God saying, draw near to me, come here, listen, read my word, talk to me. Do you not have the compelling of the Holy Spirit? Maybe even do great stuff. God shows up and you do great stuff. 
but you're not a believer. You're just playing with it. There's a great illustration someone said about tasting. These, the three times the taste is said in here, right? It's like, have you ever gone to the grocery store and you're going to buy some fruit, but you don't want to pay for it unless it's good? We had a conversation about this last week, right? Usually grapes. Grapes are safe. You look around, nobody looking, you boop, pop a grape in your mouth. And if they're nasty, you don't buy them. And if they're good, you buy them, right? That's how that works. This is the equivalent of going through there, having the best grape of your life. Wow. Oh, it's like another, oh, this is so good. And then you walk away from the grapes. You see what I'm saying? You don't make the purchase. You don't commit. I'll come back for those grapes later. That's what you think. They'll always be there for me. And you walk on, tasted and seen that God is good. Have you tasted and seen that God is good? And if so, have you believed the good news? Um, so I say that two, twofold. First of all, yes, it's a warning to the church, absolutely. Secondly, it's a warning to the church that there are those who might present gifts that aren't believing. They aren't believing in Jesus for salvation. Read, read there's one more illustration here. Seven and eight says this. Land that drinks the rain, often falling on it, and that produces the crop useful for those to whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But the land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger, that's interesting, of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. You see, there's a process here, and this analogy is tied directly into what's said before. There's this idea of land that's just getting the grace of God raining on it. It's just pouring in, and it's filling up, but it's being filled up for a purpose, and that's you and I. God, God is pouring his blessings on us so that we respond to the good news of Jesus, so that we believe the good news of Jesus, and that we would surrender our lives to him and then live for him in a real way, producing fruit. This is not a new concept in Scripture. But the sec that's the kind of land that's blessed. Yes, it's blessed now, and it's blessed forever. It's blessed land. It manifests the fruit for the intended purpose. I want you to see what the Word says, that it produces a crop useful for who? For those in for whom it is farmed. That's who it's for. It's not for the land. And how many of us lay there like that big field, you know, where it's like a big fat field, and we're just, God, give me your blessings. I want all your blessings. I'm just going to soak them all up. I'm going to use them for whatever I want to grow in my own life. And with that sin, I'm going to grow some sin in my life, and I'm going to do the things that make me happy. I want to, God wants me happy. That's why he gave me all this water, right? No, he gave us the water to produce a crop. It says what, though? The land that starts to produce thorns and thistles, the things that stab, the things that cling, the things that, that kind of get on your socks, you know? They're annoying. They're not good. They're not of God. You shouldn't be producing them, even though you're receiving this, this, this great saturation from God himself. It says that land is in danger. That's why it's a warning. I hope you don't read it, because I told you earlier, I was one of those guys that did believe the false gospel of the Jesus slot machine. You know what I mean? Comes up jackpot every time. You know what I'm saying? Like, that was how it worked, you know? But he has grace. The idea that we can't. I, I would never uh, have turned to Jesus of myself, yet he saves us. Look at verse 9 with me. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case. I mean, he's saying, I know what you just heard probably freaked you out, <laughs> right? But we are confident of better things in your case, things that come with, here's the first time we see the word salvation. That's what we are confident in you, that you have salvation God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown to him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. So there's this ongoing manifestation of fruit in their life. And I'm telling you, and it's true for me too, and the, to reconcile this rightly with the world, we ought to be producing good fruit if we belong to Jesus. And it's not we must drip, but we should be living in the spirit in a way that we manifest good fruit. It doesn't mean signs and wonders and miracles, but it means that all the little things of our life are becoming more pure and more holy and more righteous. 
And if we don't see those things, we should take stock and say, God, what are you doing? Where, where are you? I'm not with you right now. I want to be with you. Because you see, it says, God has seen the things that you've done. He will not forget them. He is just. And he will be with you as you continue to help these people around you. We want each of you to know this, to, to show the same diligence, and here's the word, to the very end, in order that your hope may be sure. Right? We know we belong to Jesus if we continue in the faith. That's what it's basically saying. We do not want you to become lazy, and that means slow, right? Don't be slow, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Um, there are those who have gotten the promise, and we can too. We can too. But none of this is us. What was the sin? I mean, did anybody get freaked out by what I talked about today a little bit? Thank you. Thank you for being honest in church. That's always honoring to God. Freaks me out. But what, what was the sin? It was being this close to Jesus. I mean, you're so close to Jesus, you could smell him. You felt his breath on you. You felt his hands on you. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you know him, and you've heard enough truth to believe the gospel, and from that position of intimacy and almost relationship, you've gone, no, that's the sin. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you know, and I'm not here to convince you like some, you know, if, if that's you today and you feel like you're this close, I want to invite you to believe the gospel. Just go all in. Head first, deep into the pool. I'll swim with you, Jesus. I'll tie myself to you, Jesus. I'll live with you, Jesus. I'll do everything with you, Jesus. I'll profess you to my neighbors and my friends, Jesus. I will obey you when you command me to do things, even if people around me don't think it's the right thing to do. I will obey you, Jesus, because I'm with you, Jesus, because in the end, it's about you, Jesus. Interesting that the ones had all the stuff, but not Jesus. Tasted and they had gifts and they've done great things, but they didn't have Jesus. And that's what it is. Maybe you don't have him. Maybe you think you've never heard him. Where is God? And then the other challenge that I want to pray about today is maybe we've been sitting there, you know, with our little can of baby food and going, mmm, this salvation, grace, so good. <laughs> Uh, I don't want any of the other stuff, though. I don't want to be responsible for obedience. I don't, I don't want to obey. I just, I'm just going to stay over here with the kid table where it's fun. Maybe we need to move to maturity in Jesus. He calls men and women to repent and to believe the good news. I don't know. I feel that myself. Maybe today's the day that you respond and believe. I ask you to pray with me. Uh, this isn't anything magic either. Talking to God, he's here. But you know in your heart where you are today. And if you uh, don't trust him fully as Savior, I invite you to double down. And I, I do. Just say, I'll go with you. Not Bill, not Family Bible Church, not this great message, and not to say it's been a great message, but I'm saying, you will go with Jesus today. I'm with you, Jesus, no matter what. I'll make that confession today. And then if, if you're uh, walking for a while and you're tired of milk, maybe you come to the big table and have some food. You can join, join me there. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we just thank you so much uh, for the opportunity we have to come and hang out and, and to, to hear your word, to know you more deeply, and uh, for the times that we uh, have been so close and walk away. Um, we do ask your forgiveness, and, and we do not want to be. That's the whole point of this, Father, is that we do not want to be those who came so near to salvation, whose salvation was at hand, and then neglected the gift. Would you compel us, and your word says, by your Holy Spirit, to call us from death into life, to bring us over the line, no matter how close that we think we are. Would you compel us to believe the good news today? Father, would you fully redeem us and fully save us in a way that we know we are yours and we will do anything with you. Father, for uh, those of us who know you and worship you and, and praise you, Father, would you, would you move us on the continuum of maturity that we would not be uh, afraid of growing up, but we would willingly walk with you into the, the roads that you have for us. And, and Father, uh, boy, I, I tell you, Lord, as I, as I 
hear the word today. I'm just a little inside out about it. And I pray that you would do a work in your people today for your glory. You sent us as servants of your son, Jesus, and we come just preaching the good news. But would you do a work for your glory today and for the good of the people who need salvation? Would you move? We ask it in the mighty name of Jesus.